Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. You might have heard this passage a couple times. Let's be standing out of reverence for God's word. I'm going to read from the new NIV. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard of it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Let's pray. Lord, we humble ourselves before your words today as we recognize, God, your great gift to us in Jesus. You sent Jesus to Bethlehem, not because Bethlehem is worthy, nor because humans were worthy, but because you are good. So we acknowledge you today and we praise your holy name. Help us, Lord, to grow closer to the one true great God. This is our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Years ago, we had an outdoor Bethlehem production that we called Walk Through Bethlehem. It was out in front of the education building in the yard between the education building and New Hope Road. And it was incredible. It featured walls and a guard tower and a village and live animals and drama and music. And it was amazing. Thousands of people from everywhere would flock to the church to experience walk through Bethlehem. We had, to have, we had to have parkers to help park cars. It involved everybody. I was looking through some old walk through Bethlehem pictures. I saw some folks who are no longer with us. I saw other things. The pictures were wonderful, but they just did not do justice to the magnitude of walk through Bethlehem. Because pictures never do, do they? I uploaded a slideshow on our new computer desktop. It's a screensaver, and you will look, and after one minute, it turns on and it scrolls through family pictures. And they are adorable, but they just don't represent the magnitude of raising our kids over these years. No pictures do. We went to the Botanical Gardens with Danny and Gloria last week or a couple weeks ago, and at the end, you're in this place 
and they have lights that are strung down from trees to the floor, and you're surrounded by the lights, and the lights are to music. It's, it's, an incredible, it's an incredible experience. And I made a little movie on my phone. Yeah, it doesn't represent the magnitude of it all. The worst of it is mountaintop experiences when we went skiing. And you, know, and you could see the mountains and the ski slopes. And the picture is beautiful, but I remember being terrified on my skis. I don't think I'm going down there. A picture just doesn't represent. They're cherished, but they don't adequately represent. And in fact, pictures remind us of things that we forgot. See a picture like, oh, I forgot about that. Oh, I remember that. Because our memories fade. Experiences, no matter how powerful, fade after time. Just what happens. But we like those signs, don't get me wrong. We like those pictures. We like those home movies. But they never do adequately represent what's going on. Now, I'm talking about the Christmas story in Bethlehem. You want to talk about signs. Can you imagine Bethlehem? First, you've got the Magi coming. Remember, and they'd gone to Herod, and, and, they, and they found out in Bethlehem, and then they saw that the, the star that they were following was over the house. So that's where they knew where to go. Now, my thought is, why can't nobody else see that star over the house? Because I'll see a rainbow, and I'm like, I wonder if there's, I know it's not real, but I wonder if there's a pot of gold in that house over there. You know? I mean, I, I know, take note of rainbows. I mean, I see that star. Maybe it was spiritually discerned. Uh, you got to think that somebody in Bethlehem looked up and like, hey, that's kind of strange. I don't know. Signs in the sky. It was beautiful. The birth of Jesus was all about signs. And then today's text, we have an incredible sign. You've got shepherds who are working at night. It's a menial job. It's not necessarily appreciated by the local residents. They kind of, at that time, viewed shepherd as gypsies, you know, uh, taking their flocks among other people's property and eating. But they're out there working. And then here appears... Just casually, it just talks casually. An angel appears, and the glory of the Lord shone, and they were terrified. I, I don't know what this glory of the Lord is. I mean, it's got to be pretty incredible if they were terrified. It's from the Greek word doxa, which you hear the word doxology in that. It can mean all kinds of stuff. In my mind, is like, I don't know, this light show, gold, bright, something, you know, incredible that gives you goosebumps. But this didn't give them goosebumps. They were terrified. And the angel seems to casually tell them the news. And the angel says it in such a way as to say that Jesus is everything everybody's ever hoped for. He says good news or the gospel, which is originally a term used 
um, as a victory message for when a, a soldier comes in and, and the gospel is good news, we won in the battle, and later it became used as a word to announce the birth of an emperor. Good news. And then it's a message for all people, which, of course, you know, Luke is all about all people, humble people, poor people, Samaritans. Everybody hears the good news of the Savior. Savior is a term which was applied to the emperor, our Savior of the Holy Roman Emperor Empire, at this time not Holy Roman. And Lord, well, we know what Lord means. In the Hebrew Bible, the Lord is so sacred that they didn't even uh, misuse it. Lord is, is the name that was applied to the name Yahweh because they thought Yahweh would be too sacred, so they used Lord. Lord is a Hebrew designation for who we think of God, but Lord has also been applied to all kinds of pagan gods. But Lord means in charge. And so this angel casually tells the shepherds that this person is born that fulfills all expectation of all people everywhere. And then a company of angels joins, praising God. doesn't say they were singing. In my mind's eye, they're singing. Every pageant and nativity thing I've ever seen, the angels were singing, not just talking. I don't know. What kinds of songs like between Gail and Mark, you guys could probably come up with 50 angels singing songs. I think we sang one. I know there's Hark the Herald Angels Sing. That's one of them, right? Uh, angels from the realms of glory or something. That's, there's probably all kinds of them. The angels are singing. Well, you know, in the Bible here, they're praising God about this great thing that's happened. I just can't even imagine this incredible experience that these shepherds had. This is an earth-shattering, once-in-a-lifetime, all-defining, never-forget kind of experience. If they had iPhones back then, you know they'd be live-streaming, right? You know. This is incredible. But you know what surprises me? Is the magi, the shepherds, they never make another appearance. You know, we don't have, we don't have Jesus at age 31 come upon the shepherd and say, hey, I was there. When you, we don't, none of that. We don't have the magi. They don't show up. It's like they, they, they play their role and, and then they leave. I, I'm not being critical here, but if I had an experience like that, I, I I'd build a statue or build an altar or something, right? I mean, you, you can't, you go along the highway, you see little crosses alongside the road. I think, oh, there must have been a car back there and they're, they're commemorating their loved one. You know, that's what we do when we come upon something significant, right? We, but we've got no altar, no, nothing. This is where the angels appeared and I built an altar. None of that stuff. Maybe it's because God didn't want people to worship that. But I marvel at the fact that that experience, as, as incredible as it was, just drops off the history books. That was nice. 
I think maybe it's because experiences, no matter how profound, are short-term. You can't live on an experience. It's going gonna, it's gonna, to um, wane away. Is that the right term? It's going to dissipate. And so this birth of Jesus was a remarkable thing, and they were so touched by it. They were like, hey, let's go into, let's go into Bethlehem and, and see this thing that happened. I mean, do you think? But they do. They go. And they found the baby. And then they go back to work. I mean, that's the you get that night off. You see the angels, the choir of angels. You go in, you see the baby, just like they said. I'm taking the rest of the night off. I'm going to hibachi or something like that. I'm not going back, I'm not going back to watch. Was that experience not life-altering? The experience was just that. It was an experience. The reason I'm telling you this is because <clears throat> some Christians are looking for an experience. Their, their relationship with God is experience-based. They, they want to they wanna feel and they want to sense and they want to experience and they think that that's going to bring them closer to God. And I'm all for experiences. Anytime God wants to reveal an angel in the sky, I'll take that. But in real life, God has given us exactly what we need in the Bible. That's, that's, that's what we need. And the reason I think that we have the scriptures instead of experiences is because no matter how powerful they are, experiences are going to wane. Some of you probably have some very powerful experiences in your life that still touch you and they still inform you. Maybe you were involved in an accident at one point in time. And when the situation is right or the traffic is right, you, you almost have this premonition, I don't want that accident to happen again. Or maybe you lost somebody dear to you, the death of somebody, and it's changed your life forever. You're forever changed because of their life or their death. But even those are going to wane, no matter how powerful they were. I, I have an ornament on our Christmas tree that commemorates the death of my father. When my father died 10 years ago, my grandmother gave us all an ornament, and it had something on there. And when I got it 10 years ago, I cried and cried. I put it on a prominent place on my Christmas tree. It's a heavy one. I love my dad. But when we decorated our Christmas tree, I said, hey, I forgot about that ornament. That's a great ornament, man. I like remembering my dad. That's wonderful. And I hooked it up on the tree, but it didn't, it didn't move me in the same way. We need to be reminded. Experiences require reminding. Maybe that's why the early church had communion every week. Every week. Because you're always being reminded that Jesus Christ, his body was broken, his 
blood was shed and these things were freely given. God's grace are merited so that we might have uh, we might have forgiveness, we might have heaven. And so every week we celebrate communion to remind us because experiences wane. Fortunately, we have the Bible. So we don't have to rely on experiences. I say fortunately because maybe you've had an incredible experience in your life. Well, guess what? Your kids might not have had that experience and you could never adequately convey to them the power of that experience. Experiences are not portable. You know what I'm saying? They can really move you and affect you and then you try to tell your kids and they might have trouble keeping up while you're telling the story. Or they might say something like, How, is this going to be a long story? What's the point of this story? And you're sharing your soul. I'm going to tell you how powerful this is. And they're like, okay, okay. Because experiences are not portable, but God's word is. God's word is. And that's how God works with us and speaks with us today. Now, I know you might think, because I've thought this many times, how easy it would have been a, to be a Christian back then with all this stuff going on. You know? I mean, if I saw an angel talking to me, I think I'd, I'd easily be a Christian for the rest of my life. I mean, that, that would do it that one time. That'd do it. You tell me to read the Bible? I mean, that's not going to work for me. Let me see an angel. Oh, yeah, man, I, I'm hooked. I think, what's their problem? What's the problem of those people? I mean, it's not every day that you see a choir of angels. And then we have this fascinating story that Jesus tells. We're not going to look at it at all. It's located in Luke chapter 16. This story rocks my world. And I, I'm not taking this story to be literal because there's some weird stuff in there that I'm not quite sure how it fits in. But it's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. You'll remember this, that Lazarus is poor and uh, the rich man, they both die and they go uh, judgment and the rich man is being tormented in hell and Lazarus is up in heaven and the rich man is in terrible pain and he asks um, Abraham to let Lazarus dip his finger in water and cool his tongue because he's in torment. Remember the whole story, awful story. And Abraham says, no, he can't go down there. There's a chasm. And But then the rich man says something, and this just rocks my world. Listen to it. I'm reading verses, uh, I don't know, 27 to 31 maybe. The rich man makes a request and says, okay, well, do this for me. Send somebody to my family and tell them so they don't have to endure what I'm enduring. Send somebody back to tell them because I don't want them to go through it. Listen to this. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. That's the Bible. Basically, they've got the Bible. They've got the Old Testament at this time. No, Father Abraham, the rich man said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, then they'll surely repent. So if you send somebody from the dead, they'll do it. Listen to what he says. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, 
they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Which is nice foreshadowing, isn't it? Jesus rose from the dead and now is calling us unto him. And people are like, eh, I don't know. The larger point being that our faith is not built on experience, but is built on God's word. That's the thing that's going to get us through life, and that's going to the way that God speaks to us, the Bible. One thing that Christians lack is they lack the Bible. They have mottos, we're people of the book, we're people of God's word, but when you look at the average Christian, they read the Bible rarely. Now I'm painting with a broad brush there. So I want to encourage you this season to make a commitment to get into the Bible because we believe this is an important verse, Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and active and it goes on. So we believe these two things about the Bible, the Bible's alive and the Bible is active. And so when you get into God's word, you're getting into something that is alive, living and active. We're gonna take a challenge this year, uh, this next year, I mean, on Wednesday night, anybody that wants to join, there's a book from Mark Moore called Core 52, a 15-minute daily guide to build your Bible in a year. So, of course, there's 52 weeks a year. And so in our Wednesday Bible study, every week we're going to do a different week from this 52. And anybody that wants to participate, we'll get you a book. You can pay for it or we'll make sure it's covered. And that way you can, we can all keep up together. And so in 52 weeks, we'll have covered all the major themes of the Bible because the Bible is alive. And the Bible is active. Now I know somebody might say, listen, I, I, I would prefer a sign. I, I would rather God speak to me from the clouds. Well, the truth is, if God's word is alive and active, then God's already trying to speak to you. God is already trying to speak to you. It's up to you to pursue it. He's already trying to speak, but you've got to open it and listen. It's, it, it's just so different than any other form of communication. I can sit back. Something happens in my life. I could sit back and I could think, I wonder what, it's wonderful to have that little baby making coo noises in church today. I've missed having, I don't miss a baby that much, Gail. I've missed having a baby. <clears throat> I can sit back and think, I wonder what my dad would tell me to do in this situation. I wonder what he would do. And I can maybe think of advice he's given me or whatever, but I, I'm thinking, you know, he would probably tell me I would, he would probably tell me, that's the best I can do. He would probably tell me, but guess what? I have in a living, active word of God. I'm reading and all of a sudden, as I'm reading, God tells me what to do in that particular situation because God's word is inspired. It's living and active. And so we just miss so much when we just think of it as a book or we want somebody else to tell us, just tell me what it says. But it doesn't work that way. It's a relationship. What kind of marriage would you have if 
you just said, just write down and tell me what, what you want to say. No, that you don't want that. You want to engage. You want to hear their words. You want to see their, the look on their face. God's word is better than any experience. If you're looking for an experience, you're looking in the wrong direction. Somebody could come back from the grave. You're still not going to listen to them because you have the Bible, and that's enough. Now, maybe we don't do a very good job of bringing the Bible to life. You know, maybe we've made the Bible to be so deadly that when I say, read the Bible and enjoy it, you're like, what? Maybe we've been guilty of that. But I got to tell you, did Elizabeth do a great job in scripture reading today? Did you hear that scripture in a way you've never heard it before? When she said, I'm too young. Did you hear it? You heard the Bible come to life because it was somebody else giving it. Every word you heard. Every word you were cheering her on to say the right word. Weren't you? And that's God's word. That's what I want to tell you. There's all kinds of creative ways to bring God's word into your life. But it's how God wants to communicate with you. I, I just, you know, the coolest thing of, about the gift of Jesus is not that Bethlehem deserved him. Not that the shepherds deserved to be the first ones. But that God took the initiative. God's the one that did it before anybody knew anything. His divine plan was being revealed. And Bethlehem got to receive it. I want to tell you that God's divine plan is being revealed in your life. It really is. It's got to be ready for it. You've got to be looking for it. God's word is living and active. Don't go looking for some experience. Go looking for God in his word. Maybe you haven't experienced the entry into Christianity, which is baptism. I know most people here have been baptized, but that's an in initiative experience. There, there's no other club where you get dunked in the water, as far as I know, and brought back out. It's such a unique experience. It, it reminds us that that Jesus was buried in the grave. He died for our sins. He was buried in the grave and then rose from the grave, the news of life, and our hope is in his resurrection. And so it's a wonderful symbol that represents what Jesus has done for us. And every Christian participates in baptism. If you've not got to participate in baptism, I would say that your faith walk is incomplete. If you've just been sprinkled, or you were baptized when you were so young, you can't even recall it. I would say that Maybe your faith walk is incomplete. I, I want to talk to you about baptism and the importance of that initiation, that experience that you can reflect on. You can go back and reflect on your baptismal experience. But for the rest of you who've been baptized, your experience is not done. Get into God's word. Let God speak to you. I started to put on 
because, you know, I'm the preacher. I'm supposed to do what I tell you to do. So I was putting on Bible Gateway, the app, and I chose Audio Bible. And I chose George Saris. That's the guy I like to read. I don't like the dramatized version. And then I chose to start in a particular psalm. And then my 18-minute commute, well, during Christmas season, it's a 28-minute commute. But um, I listen to the Bible through my Bluetooth. The Psalms are great. There's some great stuff in there. I forgot. Because so many times I'm reading and I want to get it right. And then I read and I forget what I even said. I'm just driving. I'm just listening. I'm enjoying God's word. There's so many ways to enjoy God's word. Oh, I want you to do that this season. Don't miss out on the very thing that God wanted you to have, his word. And don't think if I could just have an experience like the rich man in hell wanted, eh, it's not going to be enough. It's not going to be enough. God's already given you exactly what you need. More than a sign, his word. So let's make a commitment to get into his word this year, this next year. The rest of this year and next year. From this day forward, let's get into God's word. Let's pray together.